Good evening, everybody. Peace be with all of you. First, I would like to thank Reverend Linda Lawrence for inviting me. Had she not invited me, I wouldn't be here today. And of course, I would like to thank Lorraine and David Groberg for hosting us. They are very gracious hosts. Uh, thank you so much for the coffee, for the pomegranate, and everything, and the hike. Um, I would like to thank my friend Cindy Sojourner, who came with me from California at the last minute. Uh, she just is a wonderful person, and she decided to come with me. And I would like to thank my cousin, Rehan, who lives in Tucson, who has come all the way to listen. So thank you so much, Rehan, for coming. So I decided to do Meet a Muslim Conversations after the San Bernardino shootings. Can everybody hear me well? Okay, good. So after San Bernardino, uh, because I'm also very involved in interfaith work in my community for the past 15 years, but what happened is there are always the same people, like-minded people that come to these events. And the people that you really want to touch are not there. So I wondered, what can I do? How can I reach to those folks who will not come to the interfaith events? And that's when I decided that I'll put an ad in the paper and go sit in a coffee shop and just see if somebody comes. If nobody shows up, I'll come take my laptop, I'll work, and come back home. The first event drew over 100 people. I was overwhelmed. When I got to the coffee shop about half an hour ago, there were already 20 people sitting there. And, yeah, it was full. And luckily, the coffee shop that I had picked had enough room, but it was all standing room. So since then, it started in January, and now we are in October. I have done at least 36 or 37 events so far. Um, and now I'm going to churches, schools, colleges, people's homes. People are inviting me into their homes where they would invite their friends and family, service clubs, hiking clubs, you name it. Um, anywhere. And it's been very, very meaningful and fulfilling. Uh, I feel that I'm really touching people because for the most part, it's new people that are coming to these events. So I don't see those same familiar faces that I see in my town, which is, which is very promising. And uh, you already heard about my personal background, so I won't go into that. Um, I'll tell you about Islam 101 in a nutshell because I want to give most of the time to your question and answers. And before I go into the Q&A, I just want to let you know that I'm a lay person. I'm not a scholar or an expert in any way. So if you ask me a technical question, I might not be able to answer it, but I'll try. And there's no question that's off the table. Don't think that you are asking me a stupid question, because people do tell me, I'm sorry, but this is a very stupid question. There is no question that's stupid. If you need to educate yourself, you have to ask. So please feel free to ask anything. I won't feel offended by any question that you might have. But like I said, I might not have an answer. That's another story. So Muslims believe that there are five pillars of Islam. The first pillar being the um, acknowledgement that we believe, the belief, sorry, the belief that there is only one God, and that Prophet Muhammad is the last messenger of God. With that said, we believe 
all the prophets starting from Prophet Adam all the way to Prophet Muhammad. And that includes Jesus, Moses, Noah, Abraham, you know, all the whole nine yards, all of them. And if we as Muslims do not believe in any one of them, then we are out of the confines of Islam because we believe that all of them were sent by God. So we have to believe in all of the prophets. The second one is praying five times a day. Maybe some of you saw me. I was praying over there when some of you came because it was the sunset prayer time. So we pray five times a day. The first prayer early in the morning before the sun comes up. The second one in the afternoon. The third in mid-afternoon. The fourth at sunset. And the fifth when we go to bed, before we go to bed. So five times a day we pray. The third one is fasting. Ramadan is the month where we fast for 30 days. 29 or 30 days depending on moon sighting because we follow the lunar calendar. And during that month we don't eat or drink anything. Yes, all day long, from morning till night. And in the summertime, the fast can be 17, 18 hours long, depending on which part of the country you're living in. So it, it is a long day, but it's very, we have, we prepare extra at night, and we try to make connection, connect more directly with God. Of course, we do connect with God five times a day. But that's a very like a high holy time for us where we not only deprive ourselves from food and water, we do nightly prayers, we reflect on ourselves, we try to control ourselves in everything that we do that is not right, like getting angry, backbiting, you know, all the evils that some of us might have in ourselves. And they say that in 21 days you can break your habits well, Muslims after 30 days still don't break their habit. <laughs> after 30 days, we are back to normal. That's how life is. The fourth one is giving charity, giving alms. 2.5% is the minimum that you have to give in charity to the poor. You can go beyond whatever you want to do. And the last one is performing pilgrimage. Once in your lifetime, Muslims are required to t go to Mecca, Saudi Arabia, to perform pilgrimage. And I forgot to mention that for both fasting and for the pilgrimage, you have to be able-bodied. Like for fasting, if you're a child, if, you're, if you have any health issues, or you know, you're pregnant, you're nursing, you're traveling, you're exempt. But then you have to make your fast. And if you cannot make, like my mom, she's 85 years old. She cannot make her fast. She cannot fast and she cannot make them. So she has to feed a hungry person for each fast that she misses. So for 30 days, she has to feed 30 people or one person for 30 days, you know, for every missing fast. And for Hajj, you not only have to have physical means, you also have to have monetary, financial means. You cannot take loan to go for Hajj. You have to have your own money and, of course, the health to go for Hajj. So these are the five pillars of Islam that I just explained to you in a nutshell. And then there is the Quran. I mean, this is not a pillar of Islam, but of course, we have the Quran, which we believe is the last book. Although Muslims do not believe that Islam is a new religion, we feel that it is a culmination of both Judaism and Christianity. Because the stories that are in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, are also in the Quran. There's a chapter in the Quran named after Virgin Mary. 
where there is no chapter in the Quran named after any other woman in the world besides her. So we revere Mary, we revere Jesus, Moses, peace be upon all of them. So with that said, I want to open the floor for your questions. Sure, sorry. Okay, um, I'm glad you said that. I would also request that we give chance to everybody for a question. So if I do not acknowledge you, please don't feel offended because we are only here for an hour and we want to give chance to everybody. Thank you. Thank you, and uh, I'd like to thank the pastor, too, for hosting this. And I'll try to put the three questions into one. <laughs> and uh, that is, uh, there is a, a term I think that Muslims use is called al-tequa, something like that. It means to deceive, conceal, or disguise. And uh, in putting the one question together, the question would be, is that in radical Islam, and you said nothing's off the table, right? Yes. In radical Islam, they have this thing about fool the infidel. Fool? The infidel. Okay. Uh, fool the infidel? Infidel, or however you want to say it. That's English, my English coming out. But uh, so my question to you is, is that the people that are Muslim or tracking under Islam, they are reading, according to what I've been told, reading the scriptures incorrect in, in that the people that... <laughs> have said that Islam is peaceful, well, you have the radicals and you have the ones that are peaceful, and the peaceful, peaceful ones have not spoken out. So, but I'm glad you came forward and are speaking out, and do you believe in uh, peaceful Islam, and what are, are others doing to, to speak out on this issue? Because here in America, there is a there is a certain attitude of freedom. And if somebody's going to take our freedom away, we do not particularly like that. Uh, Can you hand your mic back to Jay and let Moyne answer that question? Thank you. Uh, go ahead. Okay, so there are several questions in the folds. Oh, the first one, what you said, is that Muslims don't speak out. Let me tell you, any time an act of terrorism happens anywhere in the world, anywhere in the world, if you go and search, you will find all Muslim organizations from top to bottom condemning it. The media never picks it up. Do you think if he had invited the media here, they would come? No, because we are peaceful people sitting and talking and having a dialogue. Whereas if he had signs and standing outside, hatred or something along those lines that would be juicy for the media, they will be lined up. So the media never picks up any condemnation from the Muslim organizations. 
On the second hand, on the other hand, not the second hand, on the other hand, when an act of terrorism is perpetrated by a Christian, like Dylan Roof killed nine African Americans in Charleston, North Carolina, or South Carolina, North Carolina. Did we expect the Christian community to come up and say, oh, this was wrong? Did we expect them? No. When Sandy Hook happened, where 30 innocent preschoolers were killed by a neo-Nazi extremist, a white supremacist, did we expect the Christian community to stand up? No. So I, as a Muslim, I understand that people want to hear, but at the same token, we should be all on the same page. We should not expect one to condemn and the others never to say anything about it. So it is, it is kind of frustrating at times where I know that all acts have been condemned, but because people don't hear it, they think we, have, we are okay with it. No sane person in this world, regardless, they are Muslim, non-Muslim, whatever, will condone an act where innocent lives are lost, period. So it's not only Muslims, everybody. Now, your second question was about radical Islam. I was talking to a couple of my Christian friends. Um, It happens that I have a lot of Christian friends. And I understand that there are verses in the Old Testament and the New Testament that were revealed. I mean, of course, I believe it, but I wanted to hear from them that were revealed at a certain time for a certain incident that was happening, or whatever, there was something happening at the time. And, and so did the Quran. Quran, the verses came down on Prophet Muhammad, where there was something like there was, let's say if there's a war happening, there would be verses coming to Prophet Muhammad saying how to work around that. Or if there's an issue in the community, then the verses would come down. So there were verses that came for a reason, for there was something happening. Now, if you take a verse and don't consider the, 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 part, the beginning of it and the end of it, and you just take a verse in the middle and you say, oh, it says we can go kill people. That's not right. And let me give you an example. There's a, there's a verse in the Quran, 49, uh, chapter, uh, verse 9. It says, and, it, and if two groups of believers are at war, then you make peace between them. And if one of the two continues to wrong the other, fight against that group, which does wrong, till they yield to the ordinance of God. And when they yield, you make peace between them with fairness and act equitably. God loves the equitable. The believers are, after all, brethren unto one another. Therefore, make peace between brethren and fear God, that you may receive mercy. Now, if I just take the sentence, fight against that group, and forget about the beginning and forget about the ending, what do you say? So, it's not Islam that is telling people to perpetuate violence towards innocent people. It's their mentality. It's the violent thoughts. If somebody gives me a million dollars and tells me to go kill somebody, would I do it? 
Would anybody in this room do it? No, because we are all people that have good heads on our shoulders. But when people have problems in their lives, when they have violent thoughts, and let me also tell you, there's a lot of politics behind the stuff that's going on in the world. We all heard that Osama bin Laden was created by the U.S., right? There's a 48-hour story done by either NBC or CBS. If you Google it, you'll find it, that the ISIS leader was created by the U.S. Now, with that said, there are drone attacks that the U.S. has conducted. Last year, pretty much every single day, there was a drone attack in Pakistan. I was in Pakistan last year in November, and I met people who have lost their whole family in front of their eyes because of U.S. drone attack. Now, now think about this. You, Pakistan is not at war with the U.S. We are there because we want to get to the insurgents. Now, getting to the insurgents is one thing, but killing innocent people and calling it collateral damage, it's kind of hard. Because if you watch the movie, Eyes in the Sky, there is a movie out, Eyes in the Sky. It tells you how precise our intelligence is. They can tell you the color of your eyes in this room. That's how precise our intelligence is. If the FBI wants and the CIA wants to find out who is in this room, they can find everybody's name. They can find, like I said, your eye color too. So when they are so precise, how in, on earth they are killing so many innocent people? And you think that collateral damage is not going to haunt us? They are going to haunt us. Because that one person that's left behind, if that person is approached by a radical person or somebody who has violent thoughts, do you think they are going to think twice? No. They will go right away because they have nothing to live up to now. They have no family left. They have nothing to look up to. So there is a lot of politics behind that's happening in the world. See, if you look at it, before 9-11, or actually before the World Trade Center bombing that happened maybe 20 years ago, did we ever had any issues in the world, in the Muslim world? Did we ever? No, we were fine. There was nothing happening. So all of a sudden, there's everything, the world has turned upside down where it's concerning the Muslim world. Why is that so? We should think about it. What are we doing? What is our foreign policy doing in the world? Because everywhere we are providing our arms and ammunition. And when those countries like Saudi Arabia, Israel, there are several countries in the world that get our, uh, our, uh, our aid. And when they use those arms and ammunition, it says made in the USA. So even though we are not uh, behind, we are not doing, we are not there to do that, to perpetrate that attack, it's our backing to those countries or to those people. And so people see us, and then they know it's a democratic country. We elect our electeds, right? We elect everybody. That's, that's how the world sees it. So then they see us as the, the community, the citizens of this country, that we are responsible because we are not a dictatorship. We are, you know, we, we have the choice to elect who we want to. So that's how it works. You use this like it's an ice cream cone. Talk right into it. 
There's the ice cream cone. Right here. <laughs> uh, well, with respect to the last uh, discussion and question, I, I would like to refer you back to World War II, uh, which was a declared war. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of undeclared wars that are, that are taking place around the world uh, right now. So in World War II, when uh, the uh, Germans flew V-2s and so on to, over uh, England, and when uh, the uh, Allies bombed Germany and Italy, nobody worried about those bombs were killing civilians or, or uh, military. It's a war, and when, the, when, when there's a war on like that, God help you. you, you can't, you're, you're, if you happen to be in a place where you're going to get killed, you get killed. That's all there is to it. Millions of civilians got killed, or not maybe millions, but hundreds of thousands during World War II. So uh, uh, all of these things that are happening today are somewhat uh, mirroring what, what happened in World War II as far as killing civilians. If you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, I feel sorry for you, but that's too bad. Yes, I have a question. My question is, the concept that I uh, consider most important, that uh, whereby the uh, rest of religions uh, differ from Islam, is the concept of free speech. And you know what happened in, was it Belgium or where, where the cartoons were drawn and uh, uh, the... uh, uh, newspaper was blown up or whatever, mm-hmm. a couple of people killed and so on, and right. that happened a few times, but it seemed to die down, and I don't know why it died. But uh, what's, your, what's your concept of that? That was wrong. Simply wrong. What was wrong? The killing of those journalists, the bombing of that Charlie Abdo uh, headquarters. That was wrong, period. But with that said, I think that Freedom of speech also has some limitations in our own conscience, not, not on paper, but in your own home, if you know that a family member will be offended by your saying something, you will try not to, right? Anywhere, your friends, your wherever, your church members, when you, you know that something is offensive to somebody. So... This is not the first time, although I just said that was wrong, but put that aside, I'm just trying to put some perspective to it. So when people know in this world that this is something that Muslims, because it's not only Prophet Muhammad, Muslims do not portray a picture of any prophet, any, Jesus, Moses, anybody. So it was not only Prophet Muhammad. So when they draw caricatures, and make fun of the prophet, it is offensive. So just, you know, just to have, if you want peace in this world, if you want peace in your own home, you want to watch what you say, right? Fighting is easy. You can fight with your family members whenever you, whatever you want to say, you want to say it. But we, we don't. We civilized people don't do that. That's the challenges that we have in our homes, with our spouses, with our children, with our siblings, with everybody. You have to watch what you're saying and what you're doing. So it's the same concept. Now, earlier what you said about war, yes, World War II was a declared war. But the war that's happening today, it's we have declared war on these countries. 
these countries have nothing to do. When we, now, American intelligence, the CIA chief said on TV, on record, that Iraq was an intelligence failure. Okay, you can say sorry, but that sorry and that intelligence failure is going to haunt you. Because how many of our own servicemen have we killed? And don't even talk about the Iraqis that we have killed. Thousands of Iraqis. And the veterans that are coming back have no services, no nothing. They are suffering with mental health issues, and they are going to cause so many problems in the community and the society. So just saying that it was an intelligence failure does not take care of the problem. There's huge issues by just, you know, just that one issue, just one, that war. So we have, we have been waging war with so many countries that have nothing to do with anything. And so because we are the might in this world, because we have the power and everything, we can go and bomb, we can send our drones and do whatever we want to do. That's not right. And then where we don't have our interest, like in um, Syria, millions of Syrians have been uh, displaced. We are not doing anything. Every day there are people that are getting killed there but we don't have any interest, so we are not doing anything. So we should be even-handed. That's what I'm trying to say. We should be just. If we want to be the policemen of this world, then we need to be just across the board, not pick and choose where we have interest, there we go, and where we don't, we let people die. I can't quite... Uh... Oh. Well, I think we should give someone else a chance. Thank you. With respect to criticism of dignitaries or whoever, look at how much criticism Obama's getting. And I can criticize the Pope and the President and everybody and with no fear of being killed or retaliation. You can't do that in Islam. You can't do that there. No, you can. No, you can. Mm-hmm. There is... There's a young girl that had to flee to England because she was threatened with death. That has nothing... I forgot what she did. That has nothing to do with Islam. That is cultural. See, there are 50 predominantly Muslim countries in the world. Do you understand? There, there are 50 different cultures, if not more. Actually, there are more. Like, even within America, there are so many cultures. I'm coming from California. I'm seeing a very different culture in Arizona. If I go to Mississippi, I'll see a very different culture there. So there are, within one nation, there are so many different cultures. So this has nothing to do with Islam. And I'll come to that, the killing of the girl, if there's any question there. Um, I will re- address your topic, your question. But she was threatened by they were, but they were not Muslims. I mean, peop- see, the thing is, do you consider KKK Christian? They could be Christians, but they're also uh, a form of terrorists. Okay. But I think sane Christians, people... Who are, who have good heads on their shoulders, do not consider KKK to be Christians, because they don't do anything that the Christian faith teaches. Christianity does not teach you to be violent. Christianity does not teach you to kill people of color. Christianity is a very peaceful religion, and so is Islam, so is Judaism, so is Buddhism, so is Hinduism. 
any faith in this world is, teaches peace and harmony. It's human beings that take things out of context. And culture. There's a lot of cultures. In America, we talk about equality. How many women are killed every single day by their um, male husbands, I mean, husbands or male boyfriends or whatever? There's domestic violence. Every single day, women are getting killed in America. Why? You're talking threatening. They threatened her. They are killing in America today, every day. So this is human nature. People are doing this everywhere. But some places is in the news, others are not. Do we talk about domestic violence in the news? No. Do we talk about how many women are killed every day? No. But if you go online, if you do a Google search, you will see how many women are killed every day in America alone, not about the rest of the world. Thank you. Please stay seated. You don't need to get up. Yes. I thank you. I thank you for doing this. Thank you. A lot of these folks here, a lot of these folks here are Unitarian. And what I get from the Unitarians is pretty much the, the golden rule. Do unto others as you have them do unto you. Mm-hmm. And I believe that Unitarians have a little bit of religion. And they take it very seriously. A lot of other religions have a lot of religion, and it looks to me like they don't take it very seriously. There's always some exception to this, this, and this. And when you speak of the KKK, boy, they sure have a bunch of exceptions to what the Christian belief that they, they hold. So I was born a non-believer, and I haven't changed. But I found Unitarians about 50-something years ago, mm-hmm. and they haven't thrown me out yet. Good. So... I would like your response to non-believers. And, and let me ex- expand that question. I don't know many Muslims. The ones I have um, had ex- extensive conversations with are non-believers. And they tell me that non-belief is, is not very popular in uh, Muslim countries. It's a career-limiting uh, exposure. And there are a lot of atheists in this country, and they, they seem to get away with it. So can you speak to non-belief and how they should be loved? Sure. I love you. So Muslims have the Quran that I talked earlier, and then there's the falling, the, uh, uh, the hadith, which is the teachings of the Prophet Muhammad. He lived life based on the Quran. And so whatever he did, there's a compilation of all his sayings and things that he did. That's called the hadith. And there's a very famous hadith that I'll read to you. It says, in the state of Medina, which was the city that the prophet migrated to from Mecca, in the constitution drafted by the prophet, peace be upon him, it's believed to be the first written constitution of a pluralistic society. It says, all the inhabitants of Medina, Muslims, Jews, Christians, pagans, and others, were treated as one community. So Islam, when Islam came, they were pagans, they were Jews, and they were Christians over there in, in, in Mecca. The prophet did not force anybody to convert. And then later on, God, because they were persecuted, they were asked to migrate to Medina. 
they did not kill the people there. They did not force the faith on them. So for, for, for some of you that, that think that they're in today's world, Muslims don't treat others well and they want to force them to convert, there is no such thing. Islam does not tell Muslims to convert. In fact, in my own home, I have two girls, and they are both adults, and they don't cover like me. I don't force them to cover and wear the hijab. There is no compulsion. It's their choice. So I hope this answers your question that there is, there is no force in Islam towards non-Muslims. There was, there's a story that there was a non-Muslim neighbor of our prophet Muhammad who used to throw garbage at him every day when he left home. As he walked out of his home, there would be garbage on him. And then for a few days, there was no garbage thrown at him. So he wondered what happened. He knocked on her door and he asked, where is the lady who used to throw garbage at me every day? And he found out that she was sick. He prayed for her. So that is the teachings that the vast majority of Muslims in this world follow. And I'm not just making it up. It's the vast majority of Muslims follow that. Welcome to Southeastern Arizona. It's, a, it's wonderful that you could come and spend time with us. I have a question about the Quran. Is it open, or has it been over the years, open to interpretation like the Bible has? I mean, in the Bible, we have all the different versions throughout the years. Can you talk to that? So Muslims believe that Quran is for all times. No, I wish he had stayed. I would have loved to talk to him afterwards. And I understand. Um, sorry about that. But I do understand people not believing me. Because every day, 24-7, what they are watching on the news. And then for an hour, I come and paint this beautiful picture of Islam, that Islam is a very peaceful religion. They have difficulty reconciling between the two. And I do understand that. And I like to talk to those people privately, but he left. Uh, sorry? Yes, hopefully. I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. What oh, was the, the question was about how... Uh, Islam, the, yes, I got it. Never mind. The Quran. So what I was trying to say is Islam, Muslims believe that Islam is for all times. There is, there is nothing there in Islam that 20 years from now or 100 years from now, it will change. But unlike the Pope, we don't have the Pope, but we do have scholars, and they do get together. Like, let me give you an example that organ donation was not 1,400 years ago when Islam came. So in today's time, the scholars got together to figure out that is this permissible? Is, would it be permissible for Muslims to donate organs? So things that come along as times are changing the scholars get together and then they discuss based on all the teachings from the Quran and the Hadith and, and the other books, and based on that, they make decisions. What do they decide? Sorry? What do they decide on organ donation? 
Again, there are different schools. Personally, I believe that I can donate my organs, but everybody interpret, interprets it differently, but the, the scholars have said that it is okay to donate. We are passing the mic back here, but we will get back up to the front. So I have a friend who is Malaysian. She lives in Malaysia. Well, actually, now she lives in Taiwan. And uh, she posts a lot of stuff on Facebook that's political and otherwise. As you know, Malaysia is uh, primarily a uh, Muslim country. The government is actually Muslim. Mm -hmm. I think they're 60 or 70, 60, 65% Muslim. And there's something called, I don't know how you say it, H-U-D-U-D, Hudud, Hudud? H-U-D-U-D. Yeah. Hudud. Hudud. Okay. And, oh, Hadud. Well, you spell it different ways. Anyway, within Islam in Malaysia, within that community, if you do things like, you know, look at somebody other than your husband, or apostasy actually is one of the crimes, um, and many others that we all hear about. You can be punished by stoning and all of those things. And um, they're now, since the government is Muslim, they're, they're actually starting to punish people who are not Muslim for, for what they consider to be infractions. So I guess, my question is, is that their culture? Because they say that it's actually in the Quran, that these are crimes against God. I just read the verses from the Hadith that said that pagans and everybody else is one community. During the time of the Prophet, who we follow because he was the walking Quran for us, peace be upon him, he never killed anybody because they were non-believers, that they were not Muslims. They were idol worshipers all around him. He did not kill a single person because of that. So this, the Islam that I know and the Islam that vast majority of Muslims know, that does not say to kill people because of their faith or no faith. Or what about other things? What about um, being... Uh, you know, fornicating with somebody other than your spouse. Okay, so there are punishments. In America, we have capital punishment. We kill people, right? That's how I consider it. I'm sorry if you don't agree with me, but we are not here about, to talk about that. But just that we do have capital punishment here. So in Islam also, there are some set of punishments, but those are not like everyday kind of thing. Those are to severe punishments to deter people. Why is capital punishment in America? To deter people from committing that crime, right? That's what I think it is. That's why people are put on, on the gurney. So in Islam also, there, there are punishments, but they are not something that happens all the time. Once in a long while, there will be somebody who, but there are so many conditions like for um, adultery, there is punishment of stoning to death, but you have to have witnesses who have seen the act. Right. Now, how do you find a witness who has seen the act? Right? So, so how would 
since that's not legal in the U.S. to kill somebody for adultery, mm -hmm. how is that handled in the church here, so, in this in our society? Well, we live by the law of the land here. Okay, right. We don't have our laws. Right. Unlike some people think that we are bringing Sharia law. There is no such thing. Right. Even Sharia law tells Muslim to obey the law of the land. So that closes the chapter. But like I said, there has to be there are conditions that have to be met before somebody is put to death. And those conditions are very, very difficult to meet. They're not easy conditions. So I have a much simpler question. Um, you mentioned that you pray five times a day, and I was just curious, um, each time that you pray, do you say the same prayer? Or there are verses from the Quran that we recite, Okay. but there are certain verses that repeat okay. throughout the prayer. Okay. And then there are some new verses. Okay, thank you. Here you go, sir. You've talked about uh, the vast majority of Muslims, but... <clears throat> Could I get you to talk about the key differences in beliefs and practice between the Sunni, Shia, Alawah, etc., the other different sects? So I can talk about Shia and Sunni, but I said earlier I'm not a scholar. And even your question that you asked was, was a little scholarly question that um, I have, I'm not an authority to answer all the conditions. So let me give you the... Background, when Prophet Muhammad died, peace be upon him, he did not leave a successor. So some people wanted his best friend to succeed him, and some wanted his son-in-law to succeed him. So at that point, it was a political divide. Mm -hmm. It happened where people who wanted his son-in-law are called Shias, and the people that wanted his friend are called Sunnis. So that is the difference. At the core, both Shias and Sunnis have the same. They're, the core beliefs are all the same. Why do they hate each other? Okay, so let me ask you one question. <laughs> Before 9-11, had you ever heard of Shia and Sunni? Yes. You did? But did you hear that they were killing each other? That was a war. That was a war. You're right. But in Iraq, Iraq is a very old civilization, extremely old, millions of years. Shias and Sunnis, they, the divide happened 1,400 years ago when the prophet passed away. For 1,400 years, we have not heard of Shias killing Sunnis or Sunnis killing Shias. When I was growing up, my next-door neighbors were Shias. We played together. We never asked who they were, what, whatever. Nobody cared. There were lots of Shias in Pakistan when I was growing up. I had several friends that were Shias. And even here, when we meet somebody, a Muslim, we never ask, are you Shia? Are you Sunni? No, we don't. Because at the core, it's all the same beliefs. These are all political divides that we, we meaning our government, has created between those people that have been living together for so many years, and now they suddenly are on each other's throat. They were not killing each other. They were intermarriages between Shias and Sunnis in Iraq. They were living together just 
like all of us are living here together. There were political issues, you're right. There were, between Iran and Iraq, there was a war. But on the ground, people were not killing each other. People not hate. Yes. Saudis do not, yes, you're right. Saudis do not have a good relationship with Iran. Again, for a lot of reasons that are complex. That's not just Shia and Sunni. Trust me, it's not just that simple. Yeah. So there is a lot of politics in everything that we... Yes. See, we all have our share of history, right? Christians have a lot of blood on their shoulders. Crusades happened with the blessings of the Pope. Now, can we imagine the Pope blessing something like this today, of going and killing innocent people? No. But that happened in that time. So we all had our share. Moina? Yes. Could you... I'm over here. Oh. (laughs) Could you speak to the effect of the media coverage of Islam being all about, you know, Muslims being terrorists and extremists. Um, can you uh, speak to the effect that has on your family and your community? Yes, definitely. So let me share a very personal story with you. My son who lives in L.A., he has a three-year-old and a five-month-old baby. Last month, Uh, No, in August, he went camping with another couple who had two babies. So there were four babies and four adults. Two weeks ago, he got a call from the FBI because somebody reported that they saw suspicious activity and that they had IEDs, you know, explosive devices. It hit home very hard because this, I mean, these children, my children, they were born and raised here. They have no other place to go. This is home. Now, if they're reported like this, for what? Because my daughter-in-law covers up like me. She was visibly a Muslim, so people saw that there are Muslims that are camping. I mean, what more is more American than camping? And and so that's, that's the kind of things that we are facing as Muslims in America. Whenever, any time an act of terrorism happens anywhere in the world, The first news we hear, the first thing that comes to mind is, oh, God, I hope it was not a Muslim. And it's not me. All the Muslims are thinking like that. And we are praying to God that we hope that it was not a Muslim. And the minute we find out, it's, it's just a very sinking feeling because it's all over again. When Sandy, uh, was it Sandy? No, Fort Hood. Fort Hood happened where a Muslim chaplain killed his servicemen. I used to take my daughter for her soccer practice during the, the, those times. And so after I would drop her for her practice, I would walk around the park where she, they, were, they would do practice. That day, I, would not, I could not get out of the car. I could not bring myself to go out and walk. And then after sitting 10 minutes in the car, I figured, you know, am I just going to sit in my car the whole time? Am I never going to leave my house or my car? I have to. I can't live life like this. So I did go out, I did walk, but I could not make eye contact as if I'm guilty, as if I have done something wrong. So that gentleman who left, that was his question also, that how come we don't condemn? We condemn it. Nobody, nobody, 
No Muslim in their right mind can, can condone an act of violence towards innocents, regardless of what, who they are, period. So it's, it's very difficult. And now with a lot of stuff that's happening today with the pol- political scene, uh, it's, it's even harder. It's getting harder and harder. Um, my, it's not a question. I just wanted you to further elaborate for the audience about the rights of women in Islam. Oh, good. Uh, I saw that it was written on the flyer, so I thought I'd just uh, elaborate. Thank I you. Know we hear about in the news about... Uh, women being oppressed. Oppressed in the sense they can't drive a car, so that's oppression, mm-hmm. or... Uh, other things, but I guess I uh, wanted to see if you can tell them about the inheritance that the women get, the right yes. of the votes, and sure. all that stuff, just yeah. to clarify those things. Yeah. Good question. I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> so when Islam, again, to give you some perspective, when Islam came into Arabia, girls, infant girls were buried alive. That was the time in, when Islam came. Women was given the right to vote, Woman was given the right to inheritance. Woman was given the right to property by Islam, by the faith. In America, women were given the right to vote in this century. Islam gave women the right 1,400 years ago. So let me give you an example. So if I work, which a lot of women do, I have the right to keep my money. I don't have to share it with my husband or my family. Because in Islam, men has to provide the men has to provide the financial means. He's the sustainer in that respect. So it's my husband's job to bring money home, to put bread on the table, to take care of all the financial needs of the family, not mine. So his money is my money, and my money is my money. That simple. But of course, living in America, we have joint account and. It's all going into the same account. We still have to see a woman president in America. India, not India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Indonesia, all Muslim countries have had Muslim heads of state. Pakistan had a Muslim head of state about 20 years ago. That's a long time. So there is nothing in Islam, in the faith, that prohibits women from driving, from holding a job, from doing things. God says that in the Quran, God says that men and women are equal and they will be judged based on their piety. That's it. That's the bottom line. Everything is equal between men and women. But with that said, of course, we are not the same. We have different roles. We have different strengths. We have different... We are wired differently. Men and women are wired differently. So we have different roles in this world. But in the eyes of God, we are only be going to be judged based on our piety. So in Saudi Arabia, which we hear all the time, the only country, only Muslim country that does not allow women to drive is because of their culture. But out of the 49 other countries, we never hear that women are holding jobs. Women are do- Although now, recently, women in Saudi Arabia are also becoming doctors, they are going in the, they are pilots, they are flying planes, they are doing a lot of things. But again, we don't hear about those stories. We only hear the negative part. But thank you for bringing can it up. We, 
Do we have time for another question? Sure. I think that part of the problem is that uh, in the United States, I'm a, I'm a retired teacher, and I think part of the problem is that many of the religions of the East have never been covered completely or mm -hmm. thoroughly, mm -hmm. and if they ever were, it was one paragraph in a history book that was deemed acceptable by Caucasian men. My question to you is uh, sort of on a personal note. Um, I, I think that Islam is, uh, the majority of the people I think are moving in the right direction, and you've been talking about equality and so on. What is the Quran's take on gays, both male and female, in these various countries? Because what I have heard through various uh, uh, websites and so on, that individuals caught in a homosexual act are killed. In Iran, they're hung, their heads are cut off, uh, they're dismembered. I mean, this is still going on in the 21st century. A lot is going on in 21st century in America, right. too. I, I understand that. Yeah. I do yeah. understand yeah, that. I understand, I, yes, but you have a good you, question. Do you ever see in, in the future of Islam that there may be an acceptance of these people because of their diversity? So let me tell you something. God tells us that we cannot judge people. He is the ultimate judge. I'm not to judge anybody because sexual orientation is one thing. There are lots of sins that we commit all the time, big or small. A lot of us, we do as human beings. Do we judge? Do I ask you, are you a liar? Do you do this? Do you do that? No, we don't. So as Muslims, we are not to judge anybody whatever their sexual orientation is. If your civil rights are being, or your life is in danger, even if you're from the LGBTQ community, I will be the first one to come to your rescue because your life is in danger. Your civil liberties are being eroded. But with that said, in Islam, again, like oh, the Old Testament and the New Testament, a union is between a man and a woman. But we all know that people are born with these tendencies. And that's, that's the fact. But I am not to judge anybody based on who they are. But does the Quran make any reference to <coughs> this unconditional love from uh, the Prophet Muhammad? Uh, because there are so many Christians in this country who misquote Leviticus and that's their primary springboard for harassing and haranguing and criticizing gay people. You know, and I, I just don't get it. I mean, if the world is moving in such a diverse direction, then let's open up our eyes and our heart, hearts and our souls to everyone, regardless. We are all human beings. At the end of the day, we are all children of God. And... Your question is a little technical for me because I'm not a scholar, but I'm giving you my perspective. No problem. That's perfectly fine. But I know that in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and in the Quran, there are the stories. People of these tendencies were there from day one. It's nothing new. People have always been there, and there are stories in the Quran and in the Old and the New Testament. But with that said, as human beings... I'm here to spread love. I'm here to divide the bridges. Uh, sorry, 
Brace the divides. I'm not. <laughs> I think my time is up now. <laughs> but basically, huh? Gotcha. Thank you. But basically, we are trying to build those bridges to help bring people together so they can understand each other. Because the research shows in America that 80% of Americans have never met a Muslim, which I don't believe because not all Muslims look like me. Muslims look like a lot of different colors. They are blue-eyed, they are blonde, they are black, they are Chinese, they are all colors. So if you see them and you don't know, then you think that you have never met a Muslim. So I thought, okay, fine. Being the Muslim that I am, visibly, I will go and meet people and show them the face of Islam from my perspective. But that's, that's a fact that a lot of people do not have that one-on-one interaction. So with that said... I want to thank you all for coming tonight. I really appreciate your taking the time. And there is literature out there. Please feel free to take it. And although we are officially ending this, I'm here, and there are some other Muslims in the crowd that are probably local. Are you guys are local from Tucson? Okay. So there are three Muslims here that are from Tucson. But you can connect with them. Of course, they will connect you to people that are here locally. If you ever have any questions, maybe you can ask them or they can connect you here.